Summer of Love. We are uh, talking about a little bit of everything when it comes to do with love and what the Bible has to say about love and its uh, various sizes, shapes, and forms. Uh, we're going to do that for a couple more weeks. Ben Krause, our group's pastor, will be here sharing next week. I'll go over to Carmel. And then as Steve mentioned, we'll do the family service uh, at the end of the month, which is always lots of fun. And then the first Sunday in August, we're going to get back to John. So if you've been around Genesis at all this year, you know we've been studying through the book of John together. And so I think it's that first Sunday in August, we'll do a review of the first half and start looking ahead with uh, John chapter 13. So if you're reading along with us, studying along with us. You can get a head start if you want, and uh, lots of good things coming up together over the next few weeks. But uh, love, some of you know, uh, if you are here a couple weeks ago, how much I loved basketball growing up. And, uh, but something else, uh, I loved my girlfriend Jenny even more. Let me explain. I, I played a lot of intramural basketball in college. That's as high as I went. And uh, it wasn't just something a group of us guys did casually. No, when game day rolled around on our campus, we had an intramural game. We were all business, all right? We, we took it very seriously. And so you can imagine the dilemma I found myself in when Jenny's parents bought four tickets for us to attend a concert in Indy. And of all the nights, the concert happened to fall on the same night as an intramural basketball game, which means I had to tell my college buddies I was going to miss a game, which was clearly a violation of the team code, all right, when it comes to intramural basketball, but it gets worse. I had to tell them that this concert featured none other than award-winning artist Celine Dion. Yes, you heard me right. So missing an intramural basketball game is one thing. Missing a game for a Celine Dion concert can cost you your man card. And, uh, but I loved Jenny, and I loved her parents too, and so I went. And growing up, the only concerts I ever really went to featured Christian artists where they told their stories and talked about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I couldn't help but wonder to myself, like, what in, what in the world does somebody like Celine Dion talk about in between songs at one of her concerts? Well, sure, she told some stories, but mostly she talked about love. She talked a lot about love because she sings a lot about love. I mean, many of her songs have to do with love, and it's not just true of Celine Dion. Lots of artists of every genre for years and years and years have been singing about love. You've got some favorites of your own, maybe favorites like Frank Sinatra, right? I mean, he, he sings a lot about love, and not just Frank Sinatra, but fast forward in time to groups like Chicago, all right? And think about all the homecoming themes and prom themes that Chicago wrote songs for, and not just Chicago, but of course, well, my personal favorite, Celine Dion, right? I'll never live that down, and having gone to a Celine Dion concert, and, uh, and if you're a fan of more modern music, well, are there any Harry Styles fans in the room today? All right, we got a few hands that went up very quickly. He sings about love, too. From one generation to another, there are so many great love songs. Again, maybe you've got a special love song, a song that reminds you of that first crush uh, that you had in your life, maybe that first dance uh, that you ever enjoyed or, again, somebody special in your life. The point is that love songs are a big part of the world that we live in today. I want to look at a different kind of love song with you, one that comes from the Old Testament in our Bibles. The first half of the Bible, the book of Psalms, uh, specifically Psalm chapter 23. Now, the word psalm, P-S-A-L-M, means song. It just simply means song, and written by a man by the name of David, Psalm 23 describes his feelings about God, but maybe more importantly, provides for us a picture of who God is like and what he's like. 
and His incredible love for us. Now, I titled this message today, The Most Important Love Song, but it's not because I think that Psalm 23 is the most important psalm or chapter or words in the Bible, but what I do believe and what I've been praying for some of you here today, in fact, I've got others that have been praying with me as well, I've been praying that God might use this love song from Psalm 23 to help you. Uh, Because if you're struggling right now, if you're going through a a season of life, if you're going through a hard time, if you feel lost, if you feel confused, if you feel discouraged, anxious, or frustrated about life, this love song from God has the potential to make all of the difference for you, for me, uh, and maybe your faith in God, or at least you've maybe always had questions about him and what he's like. Uh, Is there a chance that he has this in a very specific way in mind for you today? Will you just pray with me? Can we take a moment and just pray as we begin? Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for who you are and for your great love for us, and we thank you for uh, churches like Genesis. We thank you for this room that you've given us, this time together, for all those that are here, that are here with us most every week, and for those that are maybe here for the first time, the first time In a long time, God, you know every life, you know every story, you know all of the circumstances, and we are just trusting that you have something very special in mind for this time here together today. We're here for you, Lord. Um, Would you open up our ears? Would you open up our hearts, our minds to be able to hear from you today? And uh, Father, you have your way in us. Uh, Come close to us today. And I pray maybe for even one person that you're going to use today in a very powerful and life-transforming way. Uh, And so we give you that space. Would you speak through me? Would you speak through your word? Uh, Even with something that's so familiar to us, Lord, would you bring life from it? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Because Psalm 23 is pretty well known, right? You don't even have to have had spent a lot of time around church uh, to know something of Psalm 23. It's one of the most well-known chapters in the Bible written by David. These words reflect his experience as a shepherd as well as many of the lessons that he had learned in life and certainly through his relationship with God. And what David learned from the ups and downs of life, the seasons that he had gone through is something that many of you, probably all of us in some way or another know so well, and that is that life can be hard. But true? I mean, life can be hard. It can be going great one day, one call, one email, one conversation, everything changes. It changes drastically. Sometimes we don't see it coming. Life is hard. It's full of ups and downs, peaks and valleys. Like these last couple of years alone have reminded many of us uh, of how uncertain life really is. And, and like you and me, David, the writer here, he endured many of these uncertainties too, but he learned something about God and he learned something about life that changed everything for him, something that can make all of the difference for you today too. And that is that somewhere along the way, David realized that God is so much more than just the creator of the universe, but also a friend and a very personal shepherd. And when you and I come to terms with that, that God wants to be your friend, that he wants to be like a father to you, a perfect father, a leader, and a guide. It really can change everything. And it's why David could say, it's why he could open these words in Psalm chapter 23, verse 1, by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That word my, that pronoun my there is probably one of the most enlightening words of all of the chapter. As David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Again, not just some impersonal uh, superpower, 
Emperor that we try and relate to emotionally on a Sunday, but he's a personal, caring, and loving shepherd. And, and the hope that we have as followers of Jesus as Christians is that when Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, when you put your faith and trust in him, like you can be confident that what this shepherd did for David, he can do the same thing, the very same thing for you and me too. And so David's words in Psalm 23 speak to the kind of shepherd he is and the way uh, that he relates to us. And while I'd love to walk through all of these verses in Psalm 23 with you today, you'd like to eat lunch uh, and your kids are going to get tired and gen kids, all right? The volunteers are going to get tired too as well. And so we're going to look at just one verse today and zoom in on Psalm 23, verse 4. In fact, it's really just the first part of this verse so that we can see how much this shepherd really loves us. You may already know these words again. Psalm 23, verse 4, the first part of it, David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Some translations, maybe you've got one of these, say things like the valley of the shadow of death. And in many ways, death is the darkest valley of all. I mean, all of us uh, have some sense of fear and anxiety when it comes to something like death, whether it be for ourselves, uh, the people in our homes, our children, the people that we love. But, but death isn't really what these words in Psalm 23 are about. Instead, David is talking about those valleys of life that we go through, valleys that beat us up, valleys that test our faith and cause us to ask questions, but valleys that we have the potential to emerge from even stronger than when we entered into them. And if you know much about our writer, David, he grew up a shepherd in Israel. He took care of flocks, sheep, and goats. And I don't know about you, but when I used to think about the Psalms, when I used to think about things like Psalm 23 and shepherds and sheep, I used to picture this. Maybe you do too. You, you see the shepherd in the beautiful green pasture, and he's got his little buddy, the dog, on the side of him, and all of these sheep and these beautiful mountains. Like, that's the picture that I used to see in my mind, but then I went to Israel and discovered that this is the environment David grew up in. This is where he shepherded his sheep. These are the valleys that he went down into, not Mars, but it's the wilderness, and it's rugged, difficult terrain. It's unforgiving. It's dry. It's rocky. It's hilly, and because there are really high peaks in the desert, in the wilderness, there are many deep, dark valleys in the wilderness, too. In fact, as you can see, that depending on where the sun is, all right, you can imagine how in any time of the day, dark shadows can come across a valley like this and change the appearance very quickly, especially when you enter down into those, those valleys. And, and many times, shepherds were forced to take the flocks down into the valleys, which meant that the flocks were susceptible to things like predators. Predators would hide in the valley, things like bears and, and leopards. Uh, uh, flash flooding was a danger in the valley. It might not be raining where you are, but if it's raining at a higher elevation, flash floods could come in with little to no warning. Add to the danger steep cliffs and jagged rocks and sharp turns. The point is, the shepherd knows this, the valleys are dark and the valleys can be very dangerous. And so why go through the valley at all? Why in the world would you risk it with the flock? Well, while dangerous, the, the valley has the potential to provide precisely what the sheep need. So often the valley is where the water is located and important food too. And so while the valley can be a risky, frightening place, 
it's sometimes necessary for the shepherd to lead his flock down into the valley or at least through it to something else that's on the other side. Let's stop there for a second. Life is full of valleys, isn't it? I mean, we all go through the wilderness. Uh, There are valley experiences that we all are forced to endure. Some of you are going through one right now, and maybe, well, maybe you would describe your valley as a valley of loss. You've lost somebody in your life, somebody that's very dear to you. They're no longer with us. Uh, There's the valley of cancer. Maybe you've endured that in the past. Maybe that's something that's a reality in your home right now or with somebody that you love. There's the valley of a, of a fractured relationship or a, a divorce. Maybe you'd like to have a baby, but call your valley infertility. Maybe it's a regret from your past, something like an abortion. Maybe you've been hurt by a church or hurt by people that you, you would say are church people, and, be, and because of it, you're not sure what you think about God. You're not sure what you think about anything religion. You're not sure if you could trust anyone, trust a Christian, trust a, a church again, and so you call yours a crisis of faith. Some of you know the valley of loneliness and betrayal. Maybe it's the daily news about war and inflation and viruses and another shooting. And, man, those what-ifs, right? If you let them, those what-ifs are, are powerful enough to paralyze you, to paralyze anyone. There's the valley of addiction. There's the valley of depression. There's the valley of anxiety and even death. Like, we all go through valleys. People that you love go through valleys, too. And, and you could say this. You could say this about life's valleys. Like, at least two things can result from the valleys that we go through. Like, first of all, sometimes good things come from the valley. Isn't it true? Like, sometimes we go through the valley of life and we come out on the other end and we come out as stronger people. Like, I I bet if it's not you, I bet you know people who have faced adversity in their life, but they've grown from it. Like, they're a different person in a really good way as they come out of it. But I bet you also know the stories of people who have gone through the valley or maybe are in in one right now, and it ruined them. And the relationship never came back together, and, or maybe the person never emerged at all. And so why risk it? Like, why would the shepherd take a chance of leading his sheep into a valley that posed so much danger? Or let's just get to it. Let me ask it like this. If God is loving, if he's sovereign and control over all things, why in the world would he risk allowing you and me to go deep through deep, dark valleys of our own? I don't know, but I wish, I wish we could interview somebody like Abraham from the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah, they went through the valley. They did, um, along with people like Moses and Joshua and Rahab and the woman at the well. Like, even Jesus went through the valley. Study the Bible. Study life after life, account after account in the Scriptures. The Bible is full uh, of accounts of individuals who endure the valley or endure the wilderness of life. It plays an important role in so many of the stories of the Bible, and there's no getting around it. The valley is frightening. Uh, the valley is painful. The, uh, in the valley, uh, resources become scarce. Fear and disappointment lead to uncertainty and desperation. Death often hides around the corner, but in each valley or wilderness that you study, And this is true with David as we study Psalm 23 today. In each account, a a helper, someone emerges, someone who knows the way through. It's a shepherd that says, come follow me. 
And that's what David learned. Like that's his plea in this ancient love song. As a former shepherd, David knew how important the shepherd is to the flock, how important the shepherd is to the sheep. And in the Middle East, a good shepherd would go out in front of the sheep and lead the flock with his voice. But I was reading this past week that when the shepherd leads the sheep or the flock through the valley, a good shepherd would close the gap between himself and the sheep. And rather than lead the sheep out front, no, when passing through the valley, the shepherd comes in close, still leading with his voice, but in closer proximity to the sheep. And so David knew that. He learned that as a shepherd, but he also learned that as a sheep. He also learned that as a young man, as a young man who was desperate for God. See, the more David went through life, the more he learned about God. And the more he learned about God, the more dependent on God he became. And so much of what David learned about the amazing love of God was the result of the seasons that he spent in the valley of his own. And do you know what? When you and I go through valleys of our own, God, like he did for David, will close the gap. And he'll come close to us in maybe ways like we've never experienced before and lead us with his voice, his presence, and his protection. And that's why David could say in verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I won't be afraid because you are with me. David learned that God is not some distant and personal being. No, he's a personal, loving, caring shepherd who leads and protects and knows the way through. The valley, the valley has a way of exposing things like our weaknesses. The valleys that we go through have this peculiar way of showing us how dependent we really are. And if we let it, the valley has a way of helping us see how much you and I, how much we need God how much we need God. And these valleys that we go through, and just from personal experience, the valleys that I go through, I wish I could tell you that I understand or that I get it, you know, that I understand why we go through difficult times, but, but I can't because I don't always understand. I don't get the pain. I don't enjoy the hardship. I don't want to go through hard things, okay? Like, that's just who I am. You can probably relate, but these valleys that we go through it doesn't mean he doesn't care. They don't mean that he doesn't love us. And, and although I can't fully understand what I'm about to tell you either, I can say with confidence, though, that God can use the valleys. He can use the valleys of life. He can use the valley that you're in right now, the crisis that you're in, the hardship, the questions that you're going through. God can use these. He can use these to shape you. He can use them to transform you. He can use these to grow your faith and trust in him. And most importantly, to bring you closer and closer to God. David went through the valley and he learned so many life lessons there. As I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus did too. Do you remember? I mean, if you know Jesus' story at all, he was baptized. And then where did he go? He went into the wilderness, the valley, most likely the Judean wilderness, the very same place that David grew up tending sheep, and God used it for the good, for David and for his faith, but he also used it for Jesus and for his too. And just as he cared and provided for them, God can use the valleys that we go through in very powerful, life-transforming ways in our own lives.
I want to share with you the story today of uh, Jim and Kathleen Vaselli. Jim and Kathleen, if you've been around Genesis, you probably know Jim and Kathleen. They were sitting in our first service today. Jim and Kathleen are two of my dearest friends. They've been a part of Genesis for a really, really long time. If you want to know what following Jesus looks like in 2022, get to know Jim and Kathleen. Some of you have been loved and prayed for by them. Some of you have been prayed for by Jim and Kathleen, and you don't even know it. They have gone through some really difficult years recently. And as I was preparing this message a little over a week ago, I reached out to Jim and I said, Jim, do you think you're ready to tell any of your story yet? And he said, yeah, I'd love to be able to share my story. And so he wrote it down for me. It's really powerful. It's full of some amazing details. It's a little long. And so I'm going to just invite you to just kind of settle in with me as I read a little bit of what Jim wrote. Um, But I'm praying and believing that Well, God might have you here today to hear a story like theirs and how even in the hardships, God's been faithful in their lives. Jim writes this. He says, my name's Jim. I'm from Chicago. Grew up in Northwest Indiana's Calumet region. My parents were retired there. This is the story of how the Lord has and continues to shepherd my wife, Kathleen, and me through the hardest season of our lives. Jim says, in early December 2020, my dad, pictured here, and his mom as well, He says, my dad got the news that we'd all been dreading. You have pancreatic cancer. And while this news would be bad enough at any time, this time was never imagined in our worst nightmares because just a few weeks earlier, Kathleen's dad had been diagnosed with kidney cancer, which had metastasized to the lung and would soon hit his brain. Add to that, over the past five to seven years, we'd been watching helplessly as my mother, pictured here, slowly began to fade into the fog that is Alzheimer's. Dad had been her sole caregiver since she started to go downhill after two major surgeries. We lived two and a half hours away and were not able to provide daily support. However, in 2016, we started making regular visits. Soon they became every other week in hopes to take some of the pressure off, but eventually it became way too much for him. We suggested, begged, and pleaded, and finally demanded that he get outside help. We had just come to this agreement when the worst news came. Dad, you are dying. Now what? And on January 21st, 2021, we admitted mom to memory care, and my dad had a nervous breakdown from which he never fully recovered. He says the treatment plan was chemo with the hopes of getting the cancer to shrink to extend his time and give him a quality of life uh, for the time that he had left. If he responded well, there was a chance they could do surgery. That might extend his life indefinitely, quality uncertain. However, he didn't handle the chemo chemo well. It took away his appetite and, worst yet, his ability to taste. It also made him ill and have diarrhea. That spring, both his brother-in-law, my mom's brother, and his sister would pass away. By May, my dad was in the hospital in critical condition with a serious blood infection. He recovered, and after some considerable rehab, he came to stay with us for a couple of weeks in June and July to get back on his feet. When he returned home and started chemo again, the illness returned, and by October of last year, he was back in the hospital. At that same time, Kathleen's dad had gotten very weak from his treatment, was in the hospital. At the point, the stress proved too much for Kathleen's mom. She ended up in the emergency room after a series of TIAs and spiked blood pressure. So with mom in the nursing home, all four of our parents were in the hospital at one time. Dad decided enough was enough and elected to stop treatment, he ended up at the same nursing home as my mom. Once his strength started to return, he tried to do some rehab to get stronger, but this peak was not where any of us hoped. We celebrated our last Christmas together in his room 
we had Chinese. Throughout January and February of this year, Dad continued to go downhill. We decided to spend half our weeks at home and half up north. Dad had to be in COVID isolation for 10 days of his last two months on earth. One day as we were taking one of our many walks in the nursing home hallway, after a very short time, Dad said, I can't walk any further. I asked, why not? He said, my back hurts. This was new. He had little to no pain this whole time. We just knew this was a sign that things were changing and not for the good. We requested a scan to see where things stood. When asked what he hoped the scan would tell us, my dad answered that I'd have one week to live. The next day we called hospice. One week later he was gone. That was March 11th. Even though we didn't tell her, somehow my mom knew the last time she saw him, it obviously upset her. She had a pained look on her face and said, he doesn't look good. Shortly after this, she started to lose her words. A couple of weeks after Dad's funeral, the nursing home called and said, it might be time to consider hospice. What? It was like a gut punch, Jim writes. How can we be going through this again so soon? She would rally every time we would visit, and we doubted that they were tell- what they were telling us. But sure enough, when we came up again on May 24th, Mom was in bad shape, and she passed away that night just two and a half months after her husband of 62 years. Jim says this about the valley. He said, God prepared us for this season in ways we couldn't have imagined and certainly in some we would not have chosen. First of all, he did something really beautiful in my wife. The mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship is a cliche for a reason. It's a difficult relationship to navigate and mom and Kathleen had their moments. But when my mother had her surgeries in 2014 and 15, Kathleen stayed with them several weeks and helped take care of dad and her and get mom to her appointments. They developed a new and special relationship, not just based on respect, but love. A daughter-in-law became a daughter indeed. Second, the Lord, long before it was even much of a thing, directed me to a new job at a company and structured it in such a way that I could work from home, a car, a hospital room, a nursing home, anywhere. It enabled us to be flexible, to be where we needed. He also moved us to a house that was almost maintenance-free. We could just lock the doors and go. He had to teach us tremendous lessons on surrendering and trust. Dad, sometimes rightly, often not, did not have a ton of faith or trust in those caring for him, so we had to be the ones he could trust and rely on. For us to fulfill that role, we had to be more trusting and reliant on God. Our times of deepest frustration and fear were when we failed to do so, but when we did, there was a real freedom and trust in knowing he would work out every detail. And then he ends by saying this, the Lord did not just correct and direct us on this journey He blessed us beyond anything that we could ask or think. The time he enabled and called us to invest with my parents led to some of the best memories and absolutely zero regrets. He says, in our sheep-like obedience, we saw so much fruit. Most importantly, we led both my mom and dad in prayers to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Praise the Lord. And if that wasn't enough, I'd like to just give you a taste of a few of the blessings and provisions that had been on the table he prepared for us. He writes, we drove back and forth to the region to the tune of somewhere between 40 to 60,000 miles or more these last couple of years. Up and down I-65, not one time did we get caught in traffic. And if you've ever driven that road, you know that's a miracle in and of itself. He says he also did a work in Kathleen and me to the point where we've been closer and our marriage has been much more rich and strong. He says, the Lord surrounded us with praying communities, not only small groups from church, but people that we met online. He says, the way in which my parents died, think about this, 
neither of my parents had to mourn for the other. And despite the progression of the Alzheimer's, mom never forgot any of us for a second, even to the last day. And not only did this gift of a true Christian community show up in prayer, people showed up physically too. Meals, cookies, cards, touching base over text, phone calls. God provided the perfect staff from hospital to hospice. Each of the parents had different needs, and the Lord brought the right doctors and staff to care for them. He says, for both my parents, friends drove up to the viewing. One couple even showed up for the funeral mass. He ends by saying, we are still trying to walk this righteous path of honoring father and mother with Kathleen's mom and dad. We continue to trust in his goodness and loving kindness and look forward to the time when we will dwell with them in his house forever. I'm so grateful for them and their willingness to tell their story. And as I was thinking about their story and thinking about how to close today, I got to thinking about this. You know, when it comes to life, you really can live in one of two ways. You can live with and for Jesus. You can trust Jesus. You can follow him as the shepherd of your life. Now, it doesn't mean you won't have trouble. I mean, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, all right? He warned us. He told us, hey, you're going to go through hard things. This is a broken world. Everything doesn't always make sense. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You're going to go through hard times. But Jesus did promise. He says, I'll be your friend. I'll be your protector. I'll be your provider. I can lead you as a good shepherd does no matter what you go through. Like we can have this confidence. You can have this confidence that he'll go through life with us. And so you can do life with Jesus or you can figure it out on your own. Figure it out as you go. Hope it all comes together. Uh, we dig deep, right? We, the, the challenge comes before us. You see a valley coming. Like You, you dig deep. And, and, and the challenge of living this way is that you're simply left a chance, you're left a good luck. But isn't it true that there comes a point? And, and Christians experience this too. Like you and I, I, I can go through this as well. Like, when the valley, when you, when you try and do this alone, like the valley of life can rip you apart to the point that you got no hope, nowhere to turn, no purpose, and certainly no peace. And I wonder if that's where some of you are right now. You are trying to do this all by yourself. And that's the valley that you're in and you're, you're lost and you got nothing to give and you don't wor- know where to turn. Here, here, here's the good news. There is someone. There is a shepherd. And, and my prayer for you today, for some of you today, and maybe you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've just lost your way is that maybe part of the reason why God has you in this room right now to hear this story and to hear these words is to realize that he is closing the gap so that you might hear his incredible and powerful voice in some way in your life again and let him lead you through. But I also realize that for some of you today, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
But what I'm praying and believing is that he has you here right now that you might see him and hear him and believe him and let him lead you through. You know, Jesus said these words. We know these as Christians. They come out of John chapter 10. We looked at them back in May. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We know that Jesus Christ is our shepherd and he desires to be more than our savior, as important as that is, but he wants to be a friend, a leader, and a guide in your life and in my life too. Will you bow your heads with me? And Father, we thank you for your great and amazing love. We thank you for creating moments like these that you know every story, that you know every life. And that maybe today, Lord, we are trusting by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would remind someone, that you would remind some people here in this room who have trusted you as Lord and Savior, but have lost their way or maybe feel like you've abandoned them. Father, would you use this moment right now to close the gap, to come close, your voice once again, your light, your hope, your provision, your protection. Father, as the good shepherd, you know what your sheep need. Have your way in this room right now, in our hearts and in our minds. Pick people up, students, men, women, those that feel lost, anxious, beat up, burned out, abandoned. Do something powerful today. Renew our faith and our love, our trust in you. Jesus, you are everything that we need. And you know the way through. Would you lead us through? Would you lead someone through today? Give us the faith to trust you. And Father, I pray for that someone here today, Lord, that they might realize that you've got them here today in this room and for this moment for a reason. That they have never trusted you and responded to you as the shepherd of their life. If that's you, I want you to know that he loves you. He created you. He wants to be your savior and your friend and your leader. There's, there's no life. There's no life of hope. There's no life of purpose. There's no life of peace, true peace, apart from Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for you. And maybe today is the day you respond to him and say, I will follow you, Jesus. And you might even pray those words right now. Pray that in your heart if you believe it, if you're ready to trust respond to Jesus today. Let him lead you. God, we thank you. Thank you for your great love that you demonstrated your love for us in Jesus Christ who gave his life, who laid down his life for us. You raised him from the dead. He is alive today. It's a wonderful thing to know that we don't have to do this life alone. We don't have to do valleys on our own. What a friend. What an awesome friend we have in Jesus. We thank you and praise you. Continue your work in this place today. 
and in our hearts, Lord. Increase our faith and trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us if you can? Let's sing and respond to the Lord.